Ignite Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine to talk about the platform wars and the possibility of a small iPad. John Rettinger of Techno Buffalo will talk about the problems at Research in Motion, the prospects of a smaller iPad, and then we'll do a mountain lion prep seminar with Joe Kissel. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. Just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Friendly Integration, the makers of the Eyeballs line of unique iPad cases and accessories. You know, Eyeballs provides ultimate drop protection for parents with young children, educators, and clumsy adults like me alike. Learn more at www.eyeballs.info. That's balls with a Z. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTHOWL. The promo code is TECHNIGHTHOWL to receive a 20% discount on your order until August 1st. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. Now, as you know, when Microsoft buys a company, obviously things have to be better. Like, what was it, 2007, they bought an online advertising company for over $6 billion. And now they're taking a charge off, basically, because... It didn't help make Bing any better or make it more profitable. Whereas Google bought DoubleClick for half that amount of money and it worked. So what do we say about Microsoft's acquisitions? What about Skype? If you look at a lot of things Microsoft does, it reminds me of what Steve Jobs said. It was actually a quote from Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) You can't go where the puck is. You have to go where... That's not the quote. That's like my, my mangling of it. But you have to look at things of how they're going to happen not how they are right now and how you're going to react to what's there. So if you look at everything Microsoft has done, you know, even recently in the last 10 years, they looked at the iPod that Apple was making so much money on and said, let's do something that's just like the iPod, but better. You know, with the Zune, completely oblivious that Apple was going to make progress of its own and that however long they'd spent developing it. So as soon as they come out, Apple comes out with the iPhone because they had no concept that, that Apple was going to be a moving target. It was just like, oh, we're just going to compete with yesterday's iPod. And they're doing that. They did that with the iPhone. Well, this is the problem always that you encounter with Microsoft, where they come out with something that's almost as good as the competing product two years ago. It's like they can't see that here's where the product is in 2009. We'll have something in 2011. We have to think they will be somewhere else in 2011 and maybe figure where they're going to be in 2012 and beat them. They never see that. Yeah, and it's easy to say that. It's much harder to actually anticipate what's going to happen. I mean, Apple did that just miraculously over the last 10 years, just constantly skating to where the puck was going to be and hit it out of the park over and over and over again to the point where they just made it look easy. And that's, it's not easy. It, it took a huge amount of work. It took a, you know, there was a lot of risk, but very rarely did they ever fail in doing that. There isn't anything obvious that we saw. There's probably things that they're working on internally that didn't get released because they weren't didn't develop correctly. And there's other products that weren't stellar. If you look at Mobile Me, it wasn't something that caught the world on fire. But it was this effort to here's where we have to be. This is what we have to do in you know next year and the year after that. And if you look at what Microsoft has done consistently with everything they go after, they see a competitor making money and they say, Hey, we're gonna take over that space. And that kind of worked in the nineties when they could bluff their way over the top of a lot of things. but Let's emphasize that, that, that bluffing their way. Explain that to our listeners so they understand when Microsoft says they're going to do something, 
Don't take it seriously. Well, if you look in the 90s, Microsoft had a lot of money and a lot of power. So they could, if anybody came out and, you know, this is kind of like before the internet, leveled the playing field a little bit, I think. But there were a lot of companies that said, we're going to do this, or we're going to do this. And Microsoft would say, oh, yeah, we're going to do the same thing. Just wait for us to do it. In a lot of cases, Microsoft would never release it. Or what they would release was just this shadow of what their promises. They did that with Windows itself. Most people forget this, but Steve Jobs was showing Next in the late 80s. It was coming out of beta in like 1989. This is a super futuristic system. I mean, this was very sophisticated development tools and an operating environment that was just way in the future. So much so that 10 years later, you could sell it to Apple, you know, and it could be the basis for Apple's future. And at the time, Microsoft was saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do the whole thing. We're going to have objects and we're going to have all this object-oriented operating system and it's going to do this and that and the other thing for 10 years. And then after 10 years, people forgot. By the time you know 2000 rolled around, people forgot that Next even existed. And they did that to everybody else in the industry, too. Things started changing in the 2000s when it became more obvious that Microsoft's bluffing wasn't working. Consider Windows Vista. Now, when they announced Windows Vista, they said it's going to have a new file system and some other features. But when Vista finally got out, finally was released, where's the new file system? Oh, it'll come later. What century? Yeah, Vista was kind of the high point of Microsoft's bluffing and failing to deliver because it, it took for so it went on for so long. And while it was going on, I think that was the beginning of Apple starting in like the late '90s and, and going into 2000s really started delivering. If you look at Apple's product in the early '90s, at QuickTime, Microsoft came out and just shortly after, just as, as QuickTime was starting to gain traction, and said, "Oh yeah, we're going to do all this stuff. We're going to call it Active Movie or whatever name they had for it at that point." They never did it. They had you know kind of like this super basic stuff. Some of the you know they actually stole some of the code through Intel. They they did all this kind of posturing throughout you know the decade of the '90s, saying how they were going to get into video. They never did anything. And even Apple, as a beleaguered company, kept QuickTime going and kept working on it. There weren't a lot of companies that did that in the face of Microsoft competing with it because Microsoft had money to come in and say, hey, we're going to crush you. Look at all the companies behind us that we've crushed with our smoke and mirrors. We're going to crush you, so you might as well sell out to us. And so Microsoft bought a lot of companies and bought a lot of technology. If you look at the pen space or the tablet space, that's where Microsoft's tablet program came from was they bought a lot of things, including Apple spinoff. Was it Digital Magic? Something Magic. They had all this technology, but they couldn't really make a viable product out of it. They did the same thing to Web TV. Everybody thought that you know the next step for the computer was to mix in with the television, and you could have internet on your television. Never and guess what? Look, Google's trying to do the same thing with Google TV and the Nexus. Q, and it's the same failure as web TV. What is the difference? Well, it's not one thing. It's a lot of things. If you look at a lot of things Steve Jobs did, that he turned around and made work. Look at the tablet. I mean, look at the smartphone. He took something a lot of people had failed at before. So it's easy to look at something and be like, oh, you know, Google's trying to do this, but everyone's failed before. And, you know, Microsoft's trying to do this. Everyone's failed before. What's more important is the fact that Microsoft has failed before trying to do this. And if you look at why they're failing then it starts to make sense that it's a pattern, that Microsoft failed with Vista, and then they failed with the Zune, and then they failed with Windows Mobile and Windows Phone 7. And I wonder what's going to happen with the Surface. It's not really difficult to figure some of this stuff out. And every time, you know, the people that were supporting Microsoft would say, oh, they've figured everything out, they're going to change everything. It's like, I don't think so, because they're saying the same things, doing the same things, same person's running the company. 
And he's saying it's not the end of the PC era, it's the PC plus era. That's the latest quote. They're trying to say the things Apple's trying to say, but that's the same thing they did in the, the iPod. You know, their attempts to take over the iPod and their attempts to take over smartphones again, take back smartphones. This isn't the first time they've tried to pull out a tablet. They've been doing it for 10 years. And, and after the iPad came out, they sort of tried to do something. These people that really like Microsoft and just have a lot of faith in it kept saying, oh, they've figured it out. They've changed. They're becoming more like Apple. And, but they're not. They're not delivering a product people want. Let's just take a look at the surface in more detail. They tried to outflank Apple in the way they had this media presentation where they say, we're going to have a media presentation in Los Angeles. Where? We'll tell you the day of. So you think about the crazy travel plans of people who had to fly to Los Angeles to see this not knowing until the last minute where it's going to be. Why? What does that do? That has got to be the dumbest move on the planet because you can't prepare anything. What happens if there's a traffic jam? What happens? This portion of the Tech Night Out Live was brought to you by Friendly Integration, the makers of the Eyeballs line of unique iPad cases and accessories. Learn more at www.eyeballs.info. That's eyeballs with a Z. Use the promo code Tech Night Owl to receive a 20% discount on your order till August 1. We can't guess when it's Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine on the Tech Night Out Live. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Hi, this is Steve Spillum for Midas Resources. In 1971, President Nixon took the United States off the gold standard and put us into a fiat currency. This allowed Congress and the Federal Reserve to create trillions of dollars out of thin air. The national debt has risen to incredible heights, and your hard-earned dollars buy a small fraction of what they once did. The average life expectancy for a fiat currency is 27 years. The dollar is failing and on borrowed time. When currencies fall, people turn to gold and silver because gold and silver have been real money for more than 5,000 years. It is our mission at Midas resources to help you preserve your capital. Don't let your personal savings shrink to nothing. For important free information on how you can protect your personal wealth, contact me, Steve Spillum, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Call today while we are still accepting dollars for gold and silver. 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Make a change in your financial security today. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. We want to know, how do you use WebEx? 
I live in my car, sometimes a rental car. Every day, I find a nice, quiet place to pull over and meet a client through WebEx, face-to-face on my smartphone. This is the way to do business. The new free version of WebEx Meetings lets you take your office anywhere, your desktop, laptop, or mobile device. Get your free WebEx Meetings basic account now at WebEx.com. WebEx from Cisco. W-E-B-E-X.com. WebEx.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800 686 Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine on the Tech Night How Live. I am basically referring to the crazy way they had a media presentation for the surface. And then in the end, they wouldn't let anyone spend more than a few seconds FaceTime with prototypes. So it sounds to me like it's just smoke and mirrors. And if you compare how Apple's presented things, Apple would go to WWDC and initially Macworld. And Steve Jobs would get on stage, and you know Steve Jobs has been doing presentations since the '80s. He loved to do that. He was really good at it, and very carefully worked through these things. It was very much a perfectionist sort of. We want to convey things in just the right way, and we want to show things. And we want to have a product that's ready enough so that when we show it, there's something to show. And if you contrast that with everything Microsoft has shown off, and other companies like HP and these other companies that are really trying to emulate Apple. And look the same way. And the same thing with kind of like Palm, but when HP bought Palm and they were trying to turn it into sort of an Apple group within them. And kind of the same way that Google shows things off. They don't get that they're showing to an audience people who are going to buy the product. And so instead, they, they kind of go too far in trying to impress the media and the tech people that work for them. That's the, that's the impression that I get when I see their stuff. 
And I really don't know what Steve Ballmer thinks because the la- I, mean, I saw him in um, CES in Vegas. He did the, the keynote for it. And <laughs> the people that run CES were kind of trying to not rudely say, this is the last time we're ever going to have Microsoft do this <laughs> because he's such a terrible presenter. Now, that's interesting, too. Microsoft is not going to do presentations. You're saying then that it's the people who run CES who disinvited them? Yes. <laughs> How do we know that? Just to be skeptical about it. How do we know that he was disinvited? But they said that. I mean, that was like, that's kind of like, they tried to put a positive spin on it, but they were like, Microsoft has been doing these forever, and, you know, next time, <laughs> we're going to have somebody else do it because we want to expand the thing, you know, we want to like, go past the what Microsoft, it, it was, it, they tried to say it nicely, but it was very clear that Microsoft is not going to be doing the keynotes at CES anymore. And why would they? I mean, that, it, it's like three or four years too late. They haven't done anything interesting. Remember when I did those articles on like what Microsoft was showing at CES for the last 10 years? And how they didn't really show anything of interest and everything they showed off never materialized. I think the last thing they did that was like a real product was the Xbox and that was like 2000. And think, how many billions did they squander on the Xbox to make it profitable? So say they're making a few hundred million dollars off the Xbox at the cost of what, five, ten billion? Oh, it was more than that. It was, you know, yeah, it was closer to ten. All right, ten billion to get five hundred million. Now, that's even logic that... Spending $10 billion to like establish a product that just as it starts to make money, it's now outdated. Right. Now, that's the thing now. Now, you buy it for $100 with an annual contract or something for Xbox Live? Explain this to yeah, me. They, I have well, no they're idea what they're like doing. A, I think they're looking at smartphones and seeing, hey, we could appeal to a broader audience if we uh, kind of subsidize the cost of the hardware. So you could buy it for cheap and then you're signing up for a plan. But I think if you're selling an Xbox to people who can only afford it for, you know, to get into it for $99, probably a lot of them are going to default. I mean, it's not like a phone company where if somebody's, you know, struggling through life trying to afford things and they get an Xbox and they're now forced to pay however much for service to, to be playing games, I think those people are going to give up their Xbox before they give up their telephone, you know. Right. If you have a bill to pay and you want got to keep the phone service working or the electric bill, well, what can I give up? Well, I can cut back a little bit of my bundled services with the satellite or cable provider. Oh, Xbox Live? Yeah, get rid of that. And it's a bad deal, too. I mean, if you if you put together how much Xbox Live would cost and a real Xbox, it's quite a bit of a premium that they're doing. They're basically subsidizing it for you. It's like a payday loan company. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, rent to own. And, you know, I, I guess that fools some people, but I would get the impression that's kind of not the coolest way to drum up new customers. All right. Now, let's go back to the surface very briefly. As I mentioned, journalists who got a chance to actually touch it weren't given much of a chance to work with it more than a few seconds. So, for example, one person tried to type on the keyboard, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. They wouldn't let him use it long enough to type that, which would take, what, 10, 15 seconds? Someone else managed to try it long enough to notice the touch interface was ragged. But that was it. So we have something here where Microsoft is promising to produce the ARM-based Surface tablets for Windows RT at the same time Windows 8 comes out, which is, I guess, expected late October. So you've got to be weeks away from starting to ramp up production of these things. They can't make one work? 
Well, it's a lot. It's a big task. I mean, like I said, Apple made it look really simple. But when Apple came out with the iPad, they'd already been making the iPhone for what three years, or you know, they'd had it in public for almost four years, three and a half years. So they had iOS pretty well down. When Apple showed off the iPhone in you know early two thousand seven, it wasn't something they let people work on for six months because it was relatively new. I think they'd started working on it um, two thousand five, so it was like two years old. So if you look at where Microsoft is now, they started talking about ARM tablets two years ago, like it was going to be ready now. And of course, I I postulated it probably meant the very last second of 2012, and it will be a very 1.0 beta when it does come out. Big surprise. So instead of, you know, what Apple did was come out with the iPhone in a simplified version first. You know, iPhone 1.0 was all it did was the widgets that were built into it. Yes, but there's one thing about the iPhone 1.0. It worked. The touch interface was smooth. Whatever it did, it did well. Yeah. They really had in mind what they wanted to do. And I don't know where Microsoft's pain points are. I don't know what, what, the, what their difficult engineering things are. But if you look at um, Windows Phone, you know, it was built on Windows Mobile. It was, it's like a new interface and a, you know, an upgrade to Windows Mobile. But they didn't have anything stellar to work on because Windows Mobile was universally regarded as garbage. So they were kind of like building that from scratch. And the first year they came out with it, they were waving it in the air really staunchly. And it was not a good product for a year. I mean, it was like, didn't do a lot. And then they've spent another year, the last year, kind of since um, Nokia got involved or, or actively selling it. And it's been another, I mean, it's only been the last half year with Nokia, but it's been two years of, of parading it around, trying to get someone to, to bite and not selling it. And remember, That's folks, when Microsoft public. runs those ads saying, and this is for the Nokia Lumia 900, that yeah. all smartphones are betas. They're betas. They were never really good. Now you can get the real phone, except you can't upgrade the operating system to the latest and greatest. <sighs> what yeah. a deal. Such a deal. We have a great deal here. Daniel Arundelger of Roughly Drafted Magazine at AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com How's your pH today? 
Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline, high-pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit LeSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we've been talking some more about Microsoft's troubles. We've been talking about Microsoft's troubles. And we look, for example at the fact that the Surface appears to be a vaporware product. There's no real evidence it's going to see the light of day. And we have that curious comment that Steve Ballmer made about the Surface, you know, trying to downplay what it's all about, I guess, because the OEMs who build stuff with Microsoft operating systems are complaining. He calls the Surface just a design point. Then, of course, we have the situation with Windows Phone, 
where despite those ads that all previous smartphones are beta, the Nokia Lumia 900 may be doing, I guess, sort of okay for AT&T, but nowhere else. I haven't seen a lot of them going out the door, but... I, well, I haven't watched. They haven't, they haven't released any stats on their phone sales, have they? Not yet. I think with their next quarterly financials, AT&T will have those quarterlies in the next week or two. Then we will know, if they choose to break it down, how many of each phone were sold. Any preliminary stuff I've heard from Nokia doesn't sound like they were doing very well at all. They're suffering. They're laying off people. That really didn't help. And if you compare, I mean, like we're talking about the technology that, that Microsoft is trying to turn into a tablet. They don't really have a foundation to jump from. If you compare that to, for example, Android, Android has been around pretty much as long as iOS in, in finished products, I mean, in, in selling products. And Google's been working on it. Some, some of the directions that Google's been taking, I mean, some of the things that Google's made a priority, I guess, doesn't seem to make sense to me. Like, why have they just now figured out the interface? Um, but if you look at that, there have been products shipping with Android in, in both smartphones and tablets for a couple of years now. They're finished products. People are able to buy them, even if they're not really buying the tablets. So when somebody comes out saying they're going to make a new tablet, like Google, you at least have the sense that they can ship the product because the product's already there. And the case of the Nexus 7, it's basically an Asus tablet that has been modified for Google's use in four months, according to Andy Rubin, the head Android guy. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like the hardware is that difficult to make because if you look at the playbook, the playbook was out there. It was the software. It was, it's very difficult to have to, to put out something that can be compared against the iPad because the iPad has very sophisticated software underneath it. And people kind of, they don't really, they kind of dismiss that. So everything that comes out, you know, they compare it physically. You know, this, oh, this has more ports on it. This would be much better than the iPad. And it's like, well, wait a minute. The software is not there. It has no platform. That's the problem with Consumer Reports. They review hardware and they do not get the software. I was just looking over the August 2012 issue of Consumer Reports, and with the iPhone, did you know the iPhone 4S, amongst all the ones rated, is near the bottom of the list? Wow. Yeah. It's because they imagine, don't ask me how they get this, they imagine that the messaging experience is better on Google. For what, SMS text? I don't know. They, I guess, don't know that there's something called iMessages. They imagine that the web browsing experience is good on the iPhone and excellent on Google. And I've never heard of any comparison that shows that. Every comparison you see is the browsing experience in both is pretty swift, pretty snappy, that Apple has much greater fidelity to HTML5. So you think that it would be equal or slightly better for the iPhone, but not... I would imagine that's Flash is what they're thinking we're not realizing that Flash is officially obsolete. <laughs> yeah, it's not even there. So all this is about Flash. I don't see how you could look at an Android browser and say this is on the level. I mean, even if even people who really love Google and really love the idea of Android, I don't think they would tell you that the Android browser is good. And the fact that Google doesn't call its Android browser Chrome yet, they know it's not there. They call it the Android browser or whatever. 
they are going to have a Chrome for Android eventually. Yeah, and, and at some point they're going to say, hey, we have a, a browser that's better. But they're not saying that now. Nobody is saying that now because they don't have a good browser. It's like an okay browser. Where Safari, I mean, there's, there's some things I don't like about mobile Safari, but it's pretty good. Everybody recognizes it's been leading mobile. I mean, Microsoft doesn't have a good browser. Microsoft has an atrocious browser. It's maybe gone from atrocious to being just like not good. But from atrocious to not good. I remember Windows Mobile, it was just like a joke. And they kept saying, it's like, oh, now we have Internet Explorer. And it's like, no, it's still a joke. You're making Internet Explorer look bad. Now, just understand here, Consumer Reports, how could they not know that Adobe is discontinuing development of Mobile Flash? So you can't really use that as a judgment if you're dealing with a product that, number one, doesn't even work very well. Number two is being discontinued. How does that make something that's good into something that's excellent? Well, I think it's like what you're saying. Consumer Reports is kind of establishing itself as not being very relevant and telling people what a good product is. Well, I guess we believe them when they review chain restaurants. No, wait. They're basing that on surveys from readers. So if a reader says the food is good at Cracker Barrel or Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, you can take that to the bank. But Consumer Reports is not sending tasters out to every one of these restaurants. Yeah, I think the days are kind of numbered for magazines. I don't know about the old media as far as being able. I mean, when you compare it to something that really compares things, like if you, even if you go to Amazon ratings, you get a better sense of whether something is good or not than if you go to a magazine edited by people who are in some official capacity to tell people what they should buy. Well, of course, with Consumer Reports also, they made a big splash over the alleged overheating iPad, new iPad. And then they did the test, and even though they somehow got the temperatures to be 10 or 15 degrees above every other tester, you know, just completely stretched the thing to the limit and all that, they still couldn't make it unacceptable. It is the number one rated tablet, but the difference in the best to worst is like just a few points. They're all basically equal to Consumer Reports. So you're basically saying, well, all tablets are pretty much alike, except the iPad has a better display. That's worth one point. Yeah, I remember that's kind of like the old media that helped keep Microsoft in place in the 90s. It's like everybody used to write stuff like that. So this kind of thing of, oh, we've heard word that Microsoft's coming out with this in two years, so I don't think you should buy anything right now. You should wait for Microsoft to do it. So it's kind of the same thing now. Is everybody's buying the iPad and, and iPhone, but Google's promising this and Microsoft's promising that. You should hold on and wait. Maybe buy the, the beta version that doesn't work very well because maybe they'll get a software update. You know, that's not new. That's kind of what the world used to be. But the difference is now that there's one is the media's changed a little bit. The other is people are seeing stuff for themselves hands-on in stores. Remember, it used to be your only way to look at stuff was to go to a big department store or you know big box retail electronic store and see Apple stuff kind of broken, and then like the the PC would be broken too, but it would be cheaper. So we'd be like, oh, I'm going to get the PC. Since they're both junk, I'll get the cheap junk. Yeah, and now when you go, you can go to even a Best Buy, and you see Apple stuff, and it's over here in this glamour showroom, and it's working. You can touch it and, you know, talk to somebody about it. And even though the people are trying to sell you, you know, the PC thing, it's still, people can experience it. And they see, oh, this is a different product than this over here. Did you hear that Best Buy is going to try to sell all its computers in a similar kind of environment to showcase them better? 
Because they're suffering. You know, Best Buy's profits are down. They've had to lay off people. A lot of trouble over there. Yeah, I think um, big box retail is, especially with electronics, is becoming, a lot of people are doing, what's the word for it, showrooming, where they go and look at it and they buy it online. Right, so you go look at Best Buy for your flat panel TV. Now you can buy from Amazon, get a much better price. If you don't like Amazon, there are really a dozen or two other really good electronics dealers who will sell your product, ship it to you. Even a flat panel TV, though, you pay a little extra, somebody will bring it upstairs and install it in your home. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Every day, nearly 3,000 families enter into foreclosure and face losing their home. If you're currently behind on your mortgage, you can still avoid foreclosure. You can save your home, but you need to act now. We're Allied State Foreclosure Services. We're experts in saving homes from foreclosure. With just one phone call to us, you can stop the foreclosure process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, and save your home. Call now. The call is free with no obligation. 1-800-597-8843. Call us if you've been threatened with foreclosure, denied loan modification, or missed a payment on your mortgage. If you've been a victim of a predatory loan or are upside down on your mortgage, even if you've lost your job and you're worried about losing your home, don't wait. Call us now and let us help you save your home. You've worked hard to build a life with your family. Let us help you keep your home. Call now before it's too late. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP 
is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. The man who predicted the fall of communism is now predicting the fall of capitalism. He's dined with the Rockefellers, hung out with the Clintons, banged heads with the Beltway, and inspired companies, movements, and empires that have brought forth revolutionary change. He sat shoulder to shoulder with figures like George Bush Sr., Steve Forbes, Margaret Thatcher, and Boris Yeltsin, to name but a few. And his volume of work set out his groundbreaking financial newsletter, Strategic Investment, was so far ahead of its time, it helped transform not just the fates and fortunes of thousands of investors, but also the fates and fortunes of entire nations. For the first time in 17 years, he's back once again with his first controversial video presentation. Go to fallofcapitalism.com to watch him reveal a landmark development, which he believes will set off the most violent economic reversal in history, one that carries the power to bring down the entire capitalist system. Go to fallofcapitalism.com to watch his controversial video before the powers that be wipe it from the internet. Again, it's www.fallofcapitalism.com. know what's going to happen next well here's the tech night owl live with gene steinberg with daniel arundel of roughly drafted magazine i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night owl live speaking of amazon now we kind of understand what amazon is doing with the kindle fire tablet where it's basically a storefront for Amazon merchandise. But Amazon is an amazing online retailer. I mean, you can't take it away from them. They're a really good place. You can go to Amazon and literally find almost any product under the sun in different categories. You get accessories for your car, tires, wheels, clothing, jewelry, earrings, groceries, beauty products, computers, Electronics, flat panel TV sets, books, movies. I mean, you look at the stuff they've got, and one customer could log in through their Kindle Fire, which is sold by Amazon at roughly what it costs to build, and buy thousands of dollars worth of stuff. So they make a lot of money. As a storefront, they make lots of money from their customers. Of course, they put most of it back in the business. We won't go into their marketing plan. The point is, you could... Basically, if you have the money and the credit card space, you could ring up huge purchases on Amazon. Okay, having a Kindle doesn't make you want to buy a whole. No, lot it does. Of it just makes it easy for you. It's basically putting everything in a one-stop shopping center. But let's look at the second thing here. Now Google comes out with the Nexus Seven, which supposedly is being sold at roughly the cost of the item. Okay. Because you're going to go to Google Play and buy all this merchandise? Yeah, well, I mean, both are kind of desperate measures. Nobody has a realistic business model that they're going to come out with hardware that's free that you go online and buy software for. That doesn't make sense. But, and a lot of people have tried it. This isn't the first time that, you know, Amazon isn't blazing some new category. Remember there was that video game that was supposed to be really cheap, and then, you know, hopefully you'd buy a bunch of stuff. But if you look at the, all the successful hardware out there, it's been people pay something for it, and then they pay software on top of it. 
even video games that that have never like consoles, video games especially that have never really made a lot of hardware profits. Apart from Nintendo's made a little bit of hardware profits, but a lot of their profits come from software. But the the game hardware is still not free, and it's important that they charge something for it, even if they're not making a lot of money. And if you look at the Kindle, or the particularly the Kindle Fire, it's it's a breakthrough price, but it's also very clearly not a luxury product. It's not a great product. It's gotten better, and a lot of people like to use it as, as you know, just like a toy or anything. But it's not making a huge amount of money because how much stuff can you buy? Well, let's just say at least you can buy more than from Google Play. I mean, all things being equal, you put the yeah, product I mean, side by side and you say, here's $2,000, buy something. Google's copying a failure, definitely. But I think, I think Google's kind of desperate to try to figure out how to make somebody buy an Android tablet. Because in, in reality, people aren't buying Android tablets. And the, the closest thing anyone's coming is you know, the Nook and the Kindle Fire because they're cheap. And when people do buy those things, it's not benefiting Google in the slightest because it's an old version of Android that's not even where Google wants it to be. Every, every one of those Android 2.2 devices that sells, is it just makes the percentage of people using the latest version of Android that Google has released smaller. Now, the Nexus 7 uses the latest Jelly Bean version of Android. And again, they're selling it at a low price, hoping to make it up in a way that there's no way for them to make up that difference. But now the other specter here is this rumor that just won't die. There's the rumor that won't die about the iPad, there being an iPad mini, but it's not a 7-inch. It's going to be something 7.85 inches because of the 4-3 aspect ratio, so it becomes 66% of a full iPad. Now, when you see this in a generic Mac Rumor magazine, you say, okay, lots of stories, why take it seriously? But now the mainstream media is saying, yeah, take it seriously. Well, people have always talked about that. I mean, it's from when it first came out, people were like, oh, what if there's a smaller one? And when, when Jobs kind of addressed 7-inch tablets and saying that it's too small to make targets and things like that. Get the sandpaper out. You know, have them all, instead of just having a cleaning cloth, give you sandpaper when you buy one. Yeah, and, and specifically what he was, he, he wasn't just saying 7-inch tablets. He was saying if you have 7-inch tablets with the same resolution, you crush everything down so your targets are four times smaller than yes. And an understanding, too, the aspect but, ratio is usually 16.10 or 16.9. These are widescreen tablets. It's not like Apple. And the same is true, by the way, for the Surface, the Microsoft Surface. It's a widescreen tablet. Apple is a 4 to 3 aspect ratio, like the old Mac screen, standard definition. So you have a lot of height. For the width. Yeah, it's more like a piece of paper. I haven't seen anything legitimate behind it. It's kind of like, you know, the Apple TV rumors. It's like there's no nothing legitimate behind it. It's just a lot of people that think it would be a good idea. And so I think it's kind of in that category. But um, I actually do see that it makes some sense. I don't think it, an Apple TV makes any sense. Um, with, a, with a smaller tablet and not being like a Kindle Fire but being a smaller iPad, you could certainly sell them to education, which is one of Apple's big markets. Uh, so they could come out with a non-retina, smaller iPad and sell it for cheaper and still be making sustainable money on it and preventing, preventing an entry point for Android in that smaller category. Because it, it, it kind of reminds me of the iPod. When the iPod came out and Apple was dominating iPod, 
And people were saying, oh, yeah, but there's also these cheaper, you know, Flash-based music players. And then Apple entered that with initially the Mini and then the Nano. And now they own that, too. So I could see... I. I could see Google or Apple coming into it, but at the same time, there isn't a huge market for conventional seven, you know, seven, eight inch tablets. But part of that is because they're right now they're all Android. And what would you do with an Android tablet? All you can do is play smartphone apps. So if you, if you came out with a smaller iPad that you could charge less for, and it, you know, particularly for education users with smaller hands, it would be kind of ideal. I think, I, I'm not certain that there's a market, but for, for what Apple's selling, they're not selling it to Kindle Fire buyers. They're selling it to markets that already exist that want an iPad or want something that runs all these apps. And so I don't think it'd be difficult for Apple to scale down the iPad in a way that they could sell to particular education, but in a lot of other aspects too. Emphasize more of the consumption aspects of it and making it in such a way that you're not going to have the problem where you don't have sufficient height to be able to navigate through anything. Yeah, if it's the same aspect ratio where you're just doing apps on a smaller scale, I think it I think it could be very workable. Okay, so you're of the opinion then that there's a possibility of this thing. And like I said, if it's just talking at a regular rumor site, you don't take it seriously, but you kind of think that when you have a Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal or any of these other really serious places talking about such a thing, they have to have more than just a rumor to go by. Well, I mean, a lot of them are talking about Apple TV, too. But perhaps not as, not as seriously or as emphatically. Because, you know, that's been going on for years. And, you know, people have been talking about a smaller iPad for years. And a couple of years ago, I, I mentioned, I, I stated at the time that I thought it was much more likely that Apple could come out with a larger iPod Touch than a smaller iPad. Because Apple could come out with, I mean, Apple's already selling the iPod Touch for $199 on a small smartphone screen. They could bump it up bigger and make it a games kind of thing. But if you look at what people are buying, people are buying iPads crazy amounts. And the iPod has been fairly stagnant. The iPod Touch is half of the iPads Apple's selling, but it's, it's half the market. Or it's, it, it's a declining base because people are you know, now have an iPhone, why would you need a separate iPad or iPod? Or what Apple could do is a marketing scheme saying, now we have a large iPod Touch. Yeah, but I think... I think the media would call them on that. Yeah, I think as a brand, I think iPad works better. Especially if you're if you're targeting a a kind of page sized because the, 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 the iPad is different from the iPhone and iPod touch in that it's, it has a different aspect ratio and resolution and, and size, you know, minimum size. You can't shrink it down. You couldn't shrink down the iPad to the size of an iPhone and have it still work. What Android is doing is taking the iPhone and stretching it up to seven inches. And that's not commanding a lot of business. Because it's stretched, or or else they come out with the other alternative is the honeycomb tablets that were just, you know, big and wide, and they had this huge resolution, but there's no software on them. I mean, there's nothing, nothing, no dedicated software, so there wasn't a lot you could do with it. So I mean, Apple's certainly in the position where they can do anything they want, and I'm sure Apple could go in either direction and make 
tons of money doing it. Now we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I do not know if he's making tons of money or not, but you're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Many Americans suffer from digestive problems, often totally unaware they're not absorbing essential nutrients from foods and supplements. Dr. Peter Glidden is aware of the importance of healing a damaged digestive system. Now, the product that I'm going to talk about today, Mackey Plus, and it is a combination of a superfruit, the Mackey berry, and aloe vera juice. Now, aloe vera is a very interesting nutritional supplement to talk about because aloe vera, you know, it's the stuff that you put on your skin if you get a burn. And man, it really knocks down the pain, the inflammation of the burn and facilitates healing. Well, guess what? It does the same thing internally that it does externally to burns. To soothe and heal your digestive system, order Mackey Plus today by calling 855-347-3696. That's 855-347-3696 or on the web at fireyourmdnow.com. That's fireyourmdnow.com. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And we were talking about whether there is a reality to a supposed iPad Nano, iPad Mini, whatever you want to call it. Is this a real product? Does it make sense, as Daniel says, perhaps for the educational market, perhaps as an alternate consumer device? But if it comes out in the retail market, say it's $249, which kind of sort of makes sense because the iPad 2 is $399. Okay, at that price, it undercuts in different ways the Kindle Fire and the Nexus 7, even though they are slightly cheaper, but does that also cannibalize sales from the existing iPad, or does it expand the market, in addition being a more of a suitable educational device? Well, I think Apple would sell a lot of $250 smaller iPads to people who might, may have otherwise bought a bigger one. But I don't know if that's necessarily a problem, because trying to prevent change is much more fraught with danger than 
embracing change. <laughs> you know, so if if you're continually selling the product people want to buy, instead of forcing them to buy what they what you want them to buy, it's just more successful. And if you look at back at Apple in the '80s, that was the problem. They weren't saying, "Hey, you want the Macintosh? We're going to make it cheaper and more affordable, and you know, it's going to be consistently better than PCs around it." And instead, they said. You want a Macintosh? How much are you going to pay? You're going to pay $10,000. How about $15,000 to have you know, this specced out Macintosh? Um, and they didn't offer anything lower than that. And they made a lot of, like, that's one of the things that Jobs said, is, you know, they made a lot of money for a short period of time, and then they were blown away because they weren't selling people wanted to buy. They were selling what they thought they could get away with. And that's the question just, here. Do people, if it was offered, do people want a smaller iPad? Certainly, you can see advantages in terms of carrying it around under certain circumstances. I think the biggest advantage would be that it it would be cheaper. So there's a lot of people that it would open up a huge market of people that, you know, for some people, $500 iPad is kind of a luxury item. I think there's also a lot of people, though, however, because $500 isn't that much. If you look at, um, you know, for the people that are buying an iPad, it's not super expensive to get the iPad. And there's a lot of people that aren't buying the entry-level version. They're buying either the 3G version or the you know, more memory version. So you can already spend like almost you know, 800 something dollars on an iPad. And people are buying those things. But I think if you had a cheaper model, you would appeal to the people interested in buying it would expand to the point where the number that you're selling is so much more than any cannibalization problem that you have. It's much better to cannibalize your own products and have somebody else do it. And so if they if they allowed Android to kind of get established as the low end tablet, that could be a problem, much more of a problem than if they gave up some of their higher end iPad. And there's all there also is clear room for differentiation. So it's not just that they're making a smaller one; they're making the smaller one would probably not have a Retina display for at least a period of time. So they have you know the entry level one and then the really nice one that you actually want. And it costs more money, but you know, I think that would be a, a workable, viable strategy for selling more. Because well, you also iPhone. offer last year's iPhone and the previous year's iPhone, so yeah, Apple yeah. has that experience. Apple hasn't made a purpose-built cheap iPhone, but like you're saying, they sell the previous version, and that's what they've been doing with the iPad. But I think there's a, a potential to create a new small iPad without kind of risking very much. Let's look at another product in Apple's lineup, the Macs. Now, we had this very minor upgrade to the Mac Pro, almost a silent upgrade, although for a few days Apple called it new, where they upped the specs of the processor, not necessarily because they were really going to upgrade the thing, but because the older processors were no longer available from Intel, I gather. And now we have the letter from Tim Cook saying that next year, promise of a major Mac Pro upgrade. But why couldn't Apple this year at least upgrade the processors to the latest version and maybe add USB 3.0 and Thunderbolt? It's not going to cost them that much to do. Why are they waiting another year? Well, I can't say specifically. Um, they came with a brand new MacBook Pro, the high-end Retina one. Apple's really good at knowing how to differentiate its products, at least in, in hardware. So they know what people are buying, and they know what appeals to people. When, when you go in and you have too many options, it's off-putting. You know, when you go in to buy something and 
it's just a huge rows and rows and stuff. It's just, uh, I don't know what to do. I should do some more research. When you come in and you see, here's two kinds of laptops, good, better, best, and air, good, better, best. You know, if you want a light one, it's very easy to make a decision. It's like, do I want the the faster one or do I want the light one? I want the light one. Do I want to pay this much or do I want to get the low end version? Do I want to get the 13 inch or the 11 inch? Those are questions that the kind of, they're like 20 questions where you ask a question and it kind of cuts your options in half. And then you ask another question. So with the new MacBook Pro, the new product that they came out with, they, they kind of updated everything and made, I think they made some of the airs cheaper or whatever they did with pricing. Some models are $100 cheaper, not the entry level, but the intermediate versions. So it was this kind of minor change in the product line, but the, the, the star was this new high-end model that sort of replaced the 17 inches, like the, the new hot MacBook Pro that everybody that really likes developing or, or whatever wants to buy. That's what they made the star. They also decreed that the 17-inch MacBook Pro is too big and maybe not selling enough because of that. Yeah, I mean, Apple can see how what's selling, so if they say that, then that would make sense. Well, it's the obvious action here. There would have been no problem or severe development cost in doing the 17-inch MacBook Pro with the same upgrade as a standard 15.4-inch MacBook Pro. But then you're dealing with 1.6 inches of diagonal measurement, which is not a lot. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you can say, oh, they could develop this product or that product. But Apple's not just in the business of developing products. They're also, they're very much in the business of knowing how to sell things. And so if you have, if you create just like a whole other wing of complex decisions, then you have kind of HP product lines where it just goes on and on. You're like, I don't even know what to buy. You have 10 versions of all this stuff that all kind of seems the same, overlaps so much, it's hard to tell. People never bought the 16-inch or whatever, 17-inch MacBook Pro because it was big or heavy. They bought it because of the resolution. So the Retina display, the 15-inch Retina display, has more resolution, considerably more, and it's not heavier, and it's not bigger than the 15-inch previous MacBook Pro. I mean, they quadrupled the dots. So the people who want really high-resolution, amazing display can now get it on a smaller size. So I think that's what made the 17-inch obsolete. And also, if you carry that 17-inch across the airport... Yeah, it's heavy. I have one. Right. You have one. You know, I've been there. I've been to the San Francisco airport. At San Francisco International Airport, you can go pretty far to get to your gate from the entrance and the security lines. And just think, even if you have the really, really good case with the very thick shoulder strap, it still hurts. I don't care if you're a weightlifter. It's digging into your shoulder. It still hurts. Yeah, and there's not an easy way to make that way less. So if you look, you know, Apple really looked at what they were selling and instead of, I think a Microsoft way to do it would be like, okay, here's all the products we have. Let's upgrade them, each one of them in a separate project and devoting all these resources into changing things just arbitrarily. And I think Apple's team looked at it, you know, in a really smart sort of way is what's selling? What do people want? And how do we, how do we create a product that even if people don't necessarily say, yeah, I've been buying your 17 inch model and I want to keep buying it because I like the resolution, instead of saying, oh, well, here's, here's we've custom made a 17-inch model that has all the same features, saying, why would you buy that when you, we have the 17-inch? It's lighter. It's easier to carry around. It has way more resolution than 17. And we also took off the optical drive that you never use. So it's super thin. 
if I'm a 17-inch MacBook buyer, I'm like, oh, definitely want that. And also, like I said, the physical size of the screen is only slightly less. Remember, it's not 15. It's 15.4 inches compared to 17 diagonally, which is not a lot. And with the sharper resolution and everything else, you know, I'm going to try one and see what happens. I'm going to review one. We'll see. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, July 12th, 2012. Gold opened this morning at 1564.30. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1603.75, 801.87 for a half ounce, or $400.94 for a quarter ounce. That's 1603.75, 801.87, and $400.94. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. 
Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. One more segment with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We focused on Google, Android, Windows Phone. Let's look at Windows 8 and Mountain Lion. So Mountain Lion's going to be out real soon now because it's a published report that Apple has seeded the golden master version, which will, all things being equal and absent any serious problems, be out for sale within a couple of weeks or so. For nineteen ninety nine. So Microsoft, in response, Windows 8 will be thirty nine ninety nine for a downloadable version. Now, Microsoft wouldn't make upgrades that cheap if they weren't responding to Apple. Yeah, the same thing happened to Office. They went from being able to charge $500 for a copy of Office to, I mean, now they, I think they call it student and teacher, but it's 150 or less than that maybe now. Less than that. Mac version, like 125 Yeah. So, I mean, Microsoft doesn't make most of its money on upgrades. I think the last time I looked, and I don't know how recent that was, it was like 10% of their revenues came from upgrades. And, you know, a lot of their revenue comes from licensing to businesses. So licensing to businesses is not going to change. Licensing to OEMs for PC makers to build the operating system into their products, that's not going to change. It's consumers. They're giving up a little bit, hoping to get a lot more in volume. But the market is changing. So, I mean, the PC market is plateauing, and now it's shrinking because of the iPad. So Microsoft's business is really feeling that. I mean, the iPad is also causing, you know, hard drive makers and RAM makers, and, you know, they're having, like, too much stuff. And for Microsoft, it's this huge cushion that's been sitting on is now deflating. So how do they make that up? They're not going to make it up by selling upgrades. No matter how good Windows 8 is, I mean, you know, it's just like Windows 7.1. They're just hoping to like make a little gravy on the side. So I mean, that's not Microsoft isn't trying to make a lot of money selling upgrades, certainly not for, you know, 40 bucks. I think they're trying not to leave any money on the table and they're trying to get people to use it. They want people to upgrade so that everyone's on Windows 8. And it's certainly better than, you know, it used to be anytime somebody had a problem with their PC and it's like, well, you know, go to Best Buy and buy a new version. You have to pay 100 or 200 bucks for a copy of Windows 7 Pro or whatever you can attach to a network. And that's kind of ridiculous. So the fact that they're selling at least the entry-level model, I don't know how handicapped it is, but... 
Well, it's called Windows 8 Pro. So it's a full version, but if you want a physical DVD, it's sixty nine ninety nine. You got to pay thirty dollars to get that. So you have to have a functional PC that can actually still download things. Has to be able to <laughs> download. And I don't know how the upgrade path is going to work. Supposedly it works with Windows XP, Windows Vista, Windows Seven, but what you give up, you may have to reinstall all your apps. It's not just a simple upgrade in place. It's not like, and I can tell you, I've done it. Upgrading from Snow Leopard to Lion, upgrading from Lion to Mountain Lion, well, developers have copies, and we can tell you, without going into any details that can't be revealed because of non-disclosure agreements, that the upgrade is in place. You just run the installer, it restarts, you're running the new operating system, your apps are still there. The only difference being apps, they're not compatible or thrust into a separate folder. Otherwise... You get on with your business. You don't have to go through the crap that you have to go with older versions of Windows going to newer operating systems. And a big part of why that's so easy is that Apple controls all the hardware, and they know it's been there, and they support a, a finite amount of hardware. I mean, Microsoft is kind of left supporting anyone who's ever made a PC. It's basically a very simple list, very simple list of compatibility. Yeah. Unfortunately, you may get a horrible user experience from using an 8-year-old PC with Windows 8, but you can do it. What Apple has done, and this is an update over what I've said before, but evidently it's Macs that are 3 to 5 years old, are supported with Mountain Lion, and they have to have graphics drivers that are 64-bit, which may mean nothing to anyone. But the graphic drivers are 32-bit, they're not supported. That's the line of demarcation because the newer graphics hardware will deliver a much better user experience from Mountain Lion. No other reason. That's the way Apple's going to leave it. Apple wants to go to the future, not the past, but still most Mac users out there because most Mac users joined the platform in the last three, four years. Just about all of them can get Mountain Lion. Right. I mean, it's kind of a disservice to your customers to try to go too far back because then you're making a lot of trade-offs. I think Apple's doing the right thing in, in saying, you know, I have, I have some older machines that are not going to be able to run it. I have some, I, you know, I got my little sister a machine that I don't think you can even put Lion on it because it's an older MacBook. But they don't really need the new software necessarily. So focusing on where the most, it has the most benefit makes a lot of sense. I mean, some of Apple's biggest problems, if you look at historically, was trying to make System 7 work on, you know, 10 years worth of machines. And they kept doing that with, you know, System 8 and System 9. And then Mac OS X came out and had, you know, tighter number of machines supported. And that started expanding to the where it was just like, we're still trying to make this work on machines that had pretty significant differences in hardware. Now, just to understand this, let me go back to the past. System 7 came out in, what, 1991. Now, if you had a pretty decent level Mac, it was fine. You had, like, the basic compact Mac, even like a Mac Classic, which goes back to, what, 1989, 1990. It ran horribly, even a Mac one or two years old. So, yeah, there was a reason why an operating system, if you want to go to the future and support newer ways of performing, you can have a situation here where you make it compatible with older boxes and people buy it say it works bad. Right. And in other industries, there's there's kind of a reasonable sense of just because you have some hardware doesn't mean it's going to work forever. So, you know, if you buy a video game, you don't expect it to work, you know, for 10 years, getting the latest games. And I think Apple's kind of picking reasonable, making reasonable decisions about, 
And if you go too far, people start complaining about, oh, planned obsolescence, I just bought this and it's no good anymore. Um, if you look at Android and Windows Phone 7, that's actually a valid complaint. And people don't seem that upset about it. That, you know, I just bought this phone and it, it's not even out of its two-year contract and it's already two generations of software behind and they just kind of like accept that. And so understand I'm, with I'm, Windows Phone and with Android, whatever you buy, if the operating system is a year and a half old, doesn't matter, you'll never be able to upgrade. Just a very yeah, few very, so-called very. Nexus flagship models for Android. Within a year. I mean, just, yeah. A lot of Android phones, you, you buy them and they're, they're already up to, not up to date and they're not going to get updated. Yeah, that non-beta smartphone, the Nokia Lumia 900, you won't be able to upgrade that to Windows Phone 8. There's going to be a, kind of an intermediary upgrade that will supposedly allow it to have a slightly better user interface. That's it. No better performance, not better multitasking. You're locked in. So from that perspective, supporting Macs for three or four years is pretty good. Same thing with iPhones. I mean, people start complaining about, oh, my you know, really old iPhone 3G can't connect to the iTunes store anymore or App Store to get the latest software. It's like, well, come on, it's four years old now. You can get a new one that will connect, and it's free with a two-year contract. Daniel Aaron Dilger, tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff. I write my own vanity blog at, at RefleyDrafted.com, and I've been writing for AppleInsider.com. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. He takes on the ruling class. Fabian for Liberty. He offers piercing political analysis. Fabian for Liberty. He's on the front lines of restoring the republic. Fabian for Liberty. Fabian for Liberty. Spelled F-A-B-I-A-N. The number four, Liberty. Fabian for Liberty. Fabian for Liberty. Subscribe now for weekly updates on the Fabian for Liberty YouTube channel. Helping humanity prepare in uncertain times. FabianforLiberty.com. The next generation of alternative media. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later... 
and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. We want to know how do you use webex smartest thing my company did was to give us webex i'm in sales and now i get twice the meetings close twice the business and make twice the money i guess i should say thank you thank you to the folks in it the new free version of webex meetings lets you take your office anywhere your desktop laptop or mobile device get your free webex meetings basic account now at webex.com webex from cisco webex.com Webex.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call one 800 686 What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. Returning to the Tech Night Owl live is John Rettinger. He's the techno buffalo kind of guy. That's technobuffalo.com where they have lots of tech news and views. The last time he was here, the first time he was here, he was talking up the Lumia 900 from Nokia, available from AT&T. This is the Windows smartphone. This is the one where they have those advertisements where they say that all the other previous smartphones are beta, but the Lumia 900 is the real thing. What do you think? What's your follow-up to that, John? So it's funny that you mentioned the advertisements. And Gene, before I get into that, thank you for having me having me back. Uh, well, since we spoke last about the Nokia Lumia 900, Microsoft debuted Windows Phone 8, which has a ton of new features, supposedly many more they didn't mention. So really, if anything was a beta test, it would seem that the Nokia Lumia 900 would qualify in that category. Especially because of the fact that the Lumia 900, you can't upgrade to Windows Phone 8. They're going to have some kind of intermediate upgrade with a few Surface theme refinements. That's it. Yep, that's correct. So the flagship Windows Phone device, the Lumia 900, will not get Windows Phone 8. Instead, it'll get, like you said, uh, an intermediary Windows Phone 7.8. Ew. Yeah, you, no one wants the point upgrades. Right. So I have to think, if I just bought a Lumia 900, I would be screaming at yeah, AT&T I, and Microsoft or I Nokia. Would, think that they'd have a valid reason to be upset. Now, certainly it came in at a reasonable price point. 
and it was one of the less expensive phones, but you expect it to at least be relevant for, say, six months before something new comes out. Although at the speed of cell phones, uh, really you're looking at about a week to two weeks of relevancy before the new model already starts to hit. At least the iPhone, you know, it's going to be out next year. You could relax, not have to worry about it, and you'll be able to run the next OS. Yeah, a couple of generations back, features will be limited because of higher resource utilization, whatever. But you can get the upgrade. They're available. There you go. No, that is very true. And if you're on the Android side, um, really the only device you should be considering is a Nexus device, one of the official Google phones. At least you know that way. Uh, You'll be guaranteed at least one to two upgrades. That's true, except, of course, with one problem, which is, of course, the courts that banned it until they get that settled. <laughs> That's right. Assuming you're in a country where you can get it, you know, you want to pick up one of the, uh, the Galaxy Nexus uh, phones. The key is Nexus. If you get a Nexus phone, you will probably get the upgrade. Like, for example, with the Nexus 7 just came out, the 7-inch tablet, they already have the first update to Android Jelly Bean. That's correct. It actually shipped with Android Jelly Bean on it. But there's an update. Yep, four point, uh, was it 4.1.1, I believe. Something like that, yeah. But let's look at tablets and small ones. A lot of talk about an alleged iPad mini. Now, we all know about the statement that Steve Jobs made, that the existing tablets, I'll give you an interesting bit of information in a moment. Existing tablets at that time, 7-inch tablets, you'd need sandpaper on your fingers to use them. At the same time, they're talking about a 7.85-inch iPad, Mini, or Nano, or something like that. What do you think about all this? So a, a couple points, and I find it very interesting you brought up the Steve Jobs quote. Uh, so essentially what he said was that a seven they couldn't find a way to make a 7-inch tablet usable uh, and marketable. Uh, and a lot of the media pundits have sort of been using this iPad Mini as a way to say, this is the end of the Steve Jobs era. He never would have allowed this. Look what he said. Uh, and I think that that's uh, a bit premature and makes for nothing more than good headlines. I believe well over a year since Steve Jobs passed away. Uh, and in that time, uh, the market has changed. Supply chains have changed. Components have changed. Uh, everything in the tech world has moved very quickly. But so there's while- another secret. I'll give you the secret. Yes. Okay. The secret is that the 7-inch tablets generally have a 16-9, 16-10 aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. The iPad has a 4-3. Now, a 7.85-inch iPad mini with the 4.3 aspect ratio would give you 66% of the screen real estate of the full iPad, whereas the existing 7-inch tablets, the widescreen tablets, give you 40%. Since you get more screen real estate, maybe you don't need the sandpaper. That's the secret. And you know what? That, that's a valid point. So the marketplace has changed over the years, and Steve Jobs said that. Uh, clearly, there is a market for a 7-inch tablet. Uh, and I would assume that if Apple decides to get into this uh, particular market, uh, they will, like they did in the tablet world, they'll own the 7-inch market just like they did the 10. And in that case, what's going to happen, say, with Amazon, the Kindle Fire? Now, supposedly the Kindle Fire did pretty well during the holiday season. Yep. What power to Amazon? I mean, we understand the philosophy here. You sell the product at or near cost, and you make it up in other ways. And I was looking the other day, gee, if I wanted to go to an Amazon storefront from a Kindle Fire, what could I buy? I could buy the most expensive flat panel TVs. I could buy jewelry. I could buy clothing. I can buy books. I could spend thousands of dollars. So if Amazon is selling you for $200, a convenient media consumption device and a very convenient gateway to spend a lot of money with Amazon, they're doing okay. But the question I have is when we go to Google and the Nexus 7, you go to Google Play, 
what do you buy? Some movies, some TV shows, and apps? Is that going to be enough? So, uh, having spent some time with the Nexus 7, uh, it's an extremely capable, very easy-to-use tablet that does have a browser. And that same browser can access Amazon.com and have be able to purchase any of the same products that you could get from the Kindle Fire. Uh, we are, however, though, on the dawn of supposedly a Kindle Fire 2, uh, looking at an announcement towards the end of the month, allegedly. Now, is this going to be a larger tablet or basically the same form factor, maybe with a few more features, more powerful processor, maybe having cameras? So the rumors that we're hearing are that a slender, more slender form factor, uh, the same Tegra 3 quad-core processor found in the Nexus 7, uh, front-facing camera also found uh, in the Nexus 7, and grumblings that we may see a more expensive, larger 10-inch version of the Kindle Fire. Now, with the Nexus 7, that's basically an Asus design. It is, it is adapted. Ab- absolutely an Asus design. In fact, Asus showed the tablet uh, at CES, and the rumor is that Google loved seeing it and quickly snatched it up because once it was debuted, once it debuted at CES, no one heard a word uh, from Asus about the tablet until it was announced uh, a few weeks ago at Google I/O. Now, remember Andy Rubin, who's the head honcho yes. of the Android division over at Google. He said four months from zero to a finished product. So maybe that means that they got the prototypes four months ago before the Google I/O conference, and then adapted it to yeah. fit in the market. It's not something they designed from scratch. Absolutely. And I will say this about the Nexus 7. I've never been a big fan of Android on tablets. I use Android on my phone. Uh, but when it came to tablets, the iPad really had my heart. Uh, having used the Nexus 7 for the better part of two weeks, it is the most impressive Android tablet I've ever used. It's impressive for any price point. And the fact that it comes in at $200 makes it an extremely valuable uh, asset to Google and a great tablet for really anybody to consider. But is it a valid business model? Oh, it's an absolutely valid business model. It's the same business model that uh, video game console manufacturers have been instituting for years. Of course. Uh, you buy the product cheap like the printer, like Gillette Blades, and you hope to sell other services and products to make up the difference. Yeah, and, and one thing that, uh, that you didn't mention is component costs decrease throughout the life cycle of a tablet. So while they might be selling it at on par or perhaps even at a loss right now, quarter from now, two quarters from now, they might not. So they'll probably get a good half year of making a profit on the tablet itself, assuming that we have a 12-month release cycle. That's assuming 12 months, the way it works in Android land, maybe three months. Uh, but between flagship Android hardware, we generally have about a year. So you look at the Nexus S to the Galaxy Nexus and the Nexus 1 to the Nexus S, you do have about 12 months, 10 to 12 months in between. On the other hand, a $249 iPad mini will spoke it. Uh, you know, if, if Apple does come in at that price point, uh, I think that they'll own that 7-inch market just like they did uh, the 10-inch. But if they come in at a $300 price point, uh, it might be a very different proposition. I don't see 300 I think if they're going to jump in there, it's got to be something that's pretty closely priced to what's in there. Because Apple can be very aggressive about component pricing. It's probably, if we believe the rumors, not going to have a retina display, which means it'd be a lot cheaper to produce. Gina, I think that um, you make a valid point. Uh, how about this? I'll make a friendly bet with you, and the next time I come on, we can settle it. I say that Apple comes in at 300 or over for the iPad Mini if it ever comes out. I'll say 249 if it ever comes out, but I'm still kind of skeptical. Now, the only thing that's going to happen here is I don't know when I'll be in Southern California, but if you're ever in the Phoenix area, the bet will be whoever wins the bet buys the other person lunch. Deal. Okay, you got it, ma'am. Okay, John Rettinger of Techno Buffalo joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids. A novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Let's keep preparedness simple. Do you need stuff for disasters? Of course you do. For over 15 years, DisasterStuff.com has, well, stuff for disasters. See? Easy to remember. DisasterStuff.com. Want free shipping on a new Berkey water filter? DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. Lots of folks want an EMP Faraday bag to protect sensitive electronics during a solar or nuclear event. Now for a limited time, all survival gear purchases over $75 include a free 8x8 inch EMP Faraday bag. Just enter promo code EMP bag when you check out at disasterstuff.com. We're also a country living grain mill authorized dealer. Plus, we offer freeze dried foods by Alpine Air and Wise Foods. We also carry emergency kits, survival seeds, and much more. Preparedness should be simple, and it is. Just remember disasterstuff.com. Freedom through self reliance and personal responsibility. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. The man who predicted the fall of communism is now predicting the fall of capitalism. He's dined with the Rockefellers, hung out with the Clintons, banged heads with the Beltway, and inspired companies, movements, and empires that have brought forth revolutionary change. He sat shoulder to shoulder with figures like George Bush Sr., Steve Forbes, Margaret Thatcher, and Boris Yeltsin, to name but a few. And his volume of work set out his groundbreaking financial newsletter, Strategic Investment, was so far ahead of its time, it helped transform not just the fates and fortunes of thousands of investors, but also the fates and 
and fortunes of entire nations. For the first time in 17 years, he's back once again with his first controversial video presentation. Go to fallofcapitalism.com to watch him reveal a landmark development, which he believes will set off the most violent economic reversal in history, one that carries the power to bring down the entire capitalist system. Go to fallofcapitalism.com to watch his controversial video before the powers that be wipe it from the internet. Again, it's www.fallofcapitalism.com. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We have John Rettinger of Techno Buffalo joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg here in the Tech Night Owl Live. Our first topic of discussion, the rumors, reality about the iPad mini, plus, of course, the Nexus 7, the small tablet that Google has under their brand name and produced by Asus. Research in Motion. Let's talk about them for a few minutes. Research in Motion is having problems. Their market share is going down the dumps. They don't seem to have a compelling corporate strategy. So, John, you've got one for them. Yeah. <laughs> so anytime you mention Research in Motion over the past three years, it's never been followed by anything good. You hear of failed launches, uh, delays. Uh, RIM has pre in a previous life owned the enterprise world uh, and they've presented those enterprise devices at a premium price uh, those times have long since passed uh, if rim is looking to regain any of their lost market share uh, they need to take their existing device portfolio and own that zero dollar subsidized price uh, for carriers and consumers okay so what do we do here Right, so, so the simple thing is RIM needs to subsidize these devices to get them into the hands of the consumers and hopefully have people get addicted once again uh, to BlackBerry. If you want to pick up, for example, one of the new BlackBerry Bolts on Verizon, you're looking at the same price, if not higher, depending where you go, than the just-released quad-core Galaxy S3. Who in their right mind would consider a BlackBerry uh, running OS 7 over one of the top phones uh, that's ever been released to the market? Uh, the pricing scheme... Or, for example, the next iPhone, which is going to be out this fall. Okay, so the point is, though, if you make it cheaper... And remember, mm-hmm. with subsidies, you know, there's not a lot of differences in pricing, as there used to be. With subsidies, carriers are paying a lot of it. They can make aggressive deals with carriers. If they sacrifice too much of the profits, you know, is that going to be a smart thing? Because in the end, if you're selling these things at or near cost you got to sell an awful lot of them to make up the difference. That logic doesn't always play out. You have to sell something else to that, make up the difference. And that is very true. And we were just discussing uh, Google's model with the Nexus 7. Uh, BlackBerry has a surprisingly relatively robust application store. So now you're getting people that possibly buy applications through that, maybe some accessories. They're paying data plans to access the BlackBerry uh, servers and use their extremely capable uh, mail services. And more importantly, they're regaining market share. It stops the bleeding. It stops the investors from running away. It stops the pundits from uh, yelling at uh, yelling at Rim and Thorsten Hines. Prevents the bleeding uh, that Rim has had from a perception standpoint as well. Okay, but we still come back to the same thing. At any price, will people even pay attention to anything from BlackBerry? So, uh, Gina, I think I think the question is: Are people paying attention now? 
Um, you're no. looking at you're looking at a two hundred odd dollar BlackBerry from Rim, and that pricing scheme represents the arrogance uh, of the company. And they're probably selling very few. I don't have concrete numbers in front of me. If that same phone is now a zero to fifty dollar phone, uh, certainly they would move much more. And what is this this inventory that they have going to be worth once new devices come out? They're going to be left with back stock. They're going to have to discount anyway. It sounds uh, to me like you're suggesting they have a fire sale. You know, uh, can't that, sell it at a normal competitive price. We're going to cut it to the bone, hope we sell enough volume to make up the difference. And if we don't make up the difference, what do we do then? That's actually exactly what I'm saying. Uh, have, have, a complete fire, <laughs> have a complete fire sale. Get rid of the inventory. Build your market share. Make your customers at least a little bit happy. They can get something uh, at a discount. And just hope you can tread wa- water long enough before BlackBerry 10 hits the market in Q1 of 2013. At that point, though, maybe we'll have another version of Android. iOS 6 is out. Will anyone care? We'll also have the new version of Windows Phone, Windows Phone 8. Part of me really wants to root for Rim as the underdog. Uh, I've played with alpha versions of BlackBerry 10. I've used QNX, the operating system, running it on the BlackBerry Playbook, their tablet. It's a very good operating system. This is Rim's last stand. This is their Alamo uh, and any other (laughs) uh, metaphor I could throw at it. This is everything they have. You know, the, the consumers are going to determine whether or not they care or not. Uh, I think, and I've maintained this, that RIM will not exist in their current state 12 months from now. Whether they'll be broken up into parts or sold for patents, uh, I don't know. And um, even if the operating system is a huge success uh, review-wise, I don't think they can move enough units to be competitive. So basically here, the fire sale is just to clean out the inventory, kind of like HP did. Absolutely. When, okay, when they had their touchpad or whatever with the web OS. And that disappeared. In fact, I know this was last year. My son was back from Madrid, Spain. And one of his friends in Spain said, look, if you can get one, I'll give you the $99 and go get one of those HP tablets. And they sold several thousand, but, you know, it was just a drawdown of inventory. They lost a lot of money on it. They took a bath. And HP today, I think, is still trying to figure out what they want to do. That is very true. Um, That was... You know, a very uh, a proper pro analogy. It was a dead operating system. There's no longer a commitment to WebOS, and certainly um, once BlackBerry 10 comes, RIM will still support uh, BlackBerry 7. But I think their developers uh, will you know, continue to develop for the new or start to develop rather for the new platform. Um, so yeah, get rid of the devices while people still may want them before the new before the new one is here. Um, their current strategy is not working, Gene. They, obviously think they don't have a current strategy. I can't see anything in what they say other than we're going to make it better. But that's the same thing that's true with HP and Meg Whitman. Okay, we're not going to spin off the PC division. We're going to combine it with the printer division, whatever, which is movable chairs. And she has no strategy to voice. And Research in Motion has no strategy. I don't see anything. The promise to make things better doesn't say to me what they're going to do that's meaningful to make this product take off. And let's understand my point of view here, which is the more the merrier. If you got iOS, Android, Windows Phone, BlackBerry OS, all competing with top-notch products to advance the state of the art, and they're all getting enough of a market share to make good profits, everyone benefits because they're each trying to compete with one another. But if you have one or two platforms doing really well and the rest forget about, you get stagnation. No matter what they tell you, you get stagnation. No, that's very true. I absolutely agree with you. So we'll have to see where it's going. But you're betting that this is not going to work. That we're I, gonna, yeah. I would bet that much like WebOS, it's going to be a well-received and well-reviewed operating system. 
um, that's probably going to be very robust and offer incredible features. We've already seen a sneak preview of some of those features, uh, but I do not think that consumers are going to respond in the way that Rim is hoping for. Time has passed them by. Time has absolutely passed them by, and I think that history will view them as the archetypal example of a company that failed to evolve. They are the print newspapers of the tech world. They rested on their laurels and now they're banking in price. Well, you have to think maybe Microsoft's vision of the PC Plus era is also that way, where Microsoft still believes in Windows everywhere. If you have to look at the Surface tablet, for example, the way Windows Phone 8 is modified using comparable code with the Windows 8 database and code base, you have to look at that and say, well, Microsoft has always said Windows everywhere. From the 90s, Windows everywhere. It's still Windows everywhere, even though anything outside Windows hasn't succeeded. Very true. So where go with Microsoft? And here's the issue, because you might as well segue to this. I'm going to ask you about Amazon again and a possibility of an Amazon phone a little bit later. But with Windows 8, I've never seen such skepticism about a new operating (laughs) system from Microsoft. I mean, in the past, even Vista, they said it was great. Windows 7, Windows 7 has done well for Microsoft, and it's a pretty good operating system. But Windows 8, the people who used to be Windows fans are saying, eh. Uh, You know, first it was funny that we went from RIM to Microsoft, because Microsoft, regularly being mentioned, is one of the companies that might be looking to acquire uh, RIM. Uh, So to your your previous question, um, it's very interesting about Windows 8. It's a graphics paradigm switch. Ever since uh, Windows XP, we've had a Windows look and feel that's been very familiar. Um, from operating system to operating system. Certainly Windows 7 bought the ability to uh, pin applications, but for the most part, it's been pretty similar. Uh, Windows 8 throws everything on its head. You've now got a Metro UI and a start bar. People are confused about how things work. Uh, Windows has such a large install base. I believe in the 90-ish percent of of all PC users are on Windows uh, that they just need to learn how to use this new uh, start menu. It's a bit of a paradigm a switch from Microsoft, and it's going to take probably a generation or two before that just becomes the norm. And the question, of course, is here, why even change it? I mean, if I take somebody from 1984, and they're working on a Mac, and now I put them in my big time machine, go to Warp 10 around the sun, and land in 2012, and I say, here's Mountain Lion, and this is an operating system that's 28 years newer, and they're going to look at it, and they'll say, yeah, it's colorful, dimensional, and everything else, it's got the menu bar, and it's got an Apple menu, and a lot of things about it are similar. Maybe they'll have to spend a little time to figure it out. But the basic, fundamental look and feel owes and dates back to the original Mac OS. Certain things Apple has not given up. Certain conventions are still there. But when you go to Windows 8, Microsoft has thrown everything out of the window, to use a very horrible pun. And you have to <laughs> wonder, why do they think that's going to work? We have so- John Rettinger from Techno Buffalo on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700.
We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with Wise Foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have John Rettinger of Techno Buffalo. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we're discussing now briefly operating systems and the big changes wrought by Microsoft for Windows 8. John, I'm sure you had a comment about my little monologue. Absolutely. So i got to take issue with you a little bit. Uh, In the span of about 10 minutes, we went from criticizing RIM for resting on their laurels and not changing their operating system or the procedures to criticizing Microsoft for not resting on their laurels and changing their operating system. Uh, I think that we can't have it both ways. Uh, I think you have to evolve or die in the tech I agree with that, but I'm saying is do you make a change that's better or just different? See, that's the thing. What I'm saying to you is Apple has kept a basic consistency because that works. And they've had features they feel are going to provide value. Microsoft is taking a user interface that has worked. It's worked. Windows has worked. We know it's worked because 90% of the people out there are using Windows. Now they're throwing it out the window. The question is here, it's not whether you shouldn't change at all. It's whether you're changing too much. To your point, um, having used Windows 8, uh, I think it's a welcome uh, change. I think it's a more graphically um, appealing change. Uh, What I think is the big point here is they made the change because of the prevalence of touch panels. Uh, With touch panels um, becoming more mainstream, uh, they need an operating system that was more touch-friendly. And having that Metro uh, UI, I think, is one of the ways that they're trying to uh, adapt to the oncoming um, really touchscreens everywhere uh, type approach. And we'll have to see how that works, whether it works or whether they went too far, or whether you can even merge them, which is, in a sense, offering the same operating system for mobile and for traditional PCs. Apple, even though they've integrated some parts of the iOS with Mountain Lion and Lion, you still have a distinct iOS look and feel in operational metaphor and a distinct Mac OS operational metaphor. So Apple doesn't believe 
in the refrigerator toaster oven thing. Microsoft wants <laughs> PC Plus. So their feeling is they should all be the same. Apple feels there are distinct differences. And while some things can be integrated or merged to some degree, a lot of things have to remain different. We'll see how that works. Amazon phones. So we know that Amazon has done somewhat well with the Kindle Fire, maybe more last Christmas than now. Mm-hmm. But now we have the possibility that Amazon is looking to get into the phone business. So will they take like an existing form factor and build on it? I mean, if you look at the BlackBerry playbook, there are a lot of influences of that in the Kindle Fire. It's using a very similar case design. Absolutely. Actually, they use the same reference design. So yeah, they're, with the screens off, they look almost identical. Okay, so we understand that. So it's kind of like when Microsoft came out with a Zoom, they started with a Toshiba music player that they adapted with the Zoom, and then they went more their own direction. So Amazon, does Amazon now go look at Android phones and say, we'll adapt that one? The answer is probably. Uh, if you look at Android phones with the screen off and one to the next, they all almost look identical anyway. I can wager a guess that if Amazon does release a phone, it'll be a big screen with no buttons, Volume on the left side, a power button either on the top or on the right, a 3.5 millimeter headset jack. I mean, there's there's very little uh, I think that Amazon's going to innovate as far as the design. I think it'll be a very familiar design, regardless of, of what it ends up looking like. And the interface will be a scaled down version of the one that's already in the Kindle Fire. Yep, then that's to be expected. They already have their own app store um, that sells their own sort of custom Amazon applications, akin to uh, Google's Play Store. Obviously, as you mentioned, they've got a seamless integration, sort of more that you can get from a website uh, with Amazon. So it's not just Prime, but it's also their full array of products. So it's another way for you to buy, like you mentioned, another way for you to buy Amazon products, another way for you to not only rent a movie, but also buy a flat screen TV to watch it on. That's right. And remember the 3D Blu-ray player. Oh, yes. And maybe the four or five 3D movies that are actually available. I think that's all there are. And, you know, and, and while you're watching a 3D movie, maybe you need a new couch to watch it on. Get yourself a couch there, too. You know, <laughs> does Amazon sell houses? I have to look. Uh, not they yet. don't sell cars yet either, although conceivably they could. Okay, so let's look at an Amazon phone. Would Amazon then offer an unlocked phone or deal with AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, Wireless, and sell a subsidized version? You know, that's a really good question. Or uh, subsidize it themselves. Uh, I think that Amazon is going to subsidize it themselves, actually. And this is something that we haven't seen before. Uh, could you imagine, uh, hypothetically speaking, um, going to Amazon.com slash whatever they decide to call their phone, Fire Phone or Kindle Phone, uh, and be able to Fire pick up, that phone. <laughs> be able to pick up for free or around 50 bucks a dual-core phone running a skinned version of Android for, for, for close to free price without having to sign a two-year contract. Now, that would be a huge paradigm shift. That, that would no be an unlocked phone. Yep. That would be something that, assuming there's an LTE version or a CDMA version, a GSM version, you take it to the carrier of your choice, you buy whatever deal you can get, or go to Cricket Wireless, for example, mm-hmm. and you're all set. Now, that might be a stretch because we're talking about phones that normally an entry-level smartphone is going to cost, what, three fifty, four hundred dollars $400? If you sell for $50, dollars, you got to eat some of that cost. So, so it's not take, so much of selling it at cost. It's got to be way below cost to do that. Absolutely. It's got to be way below cost. Amazon would have to take a huge loss uh, on each phone. Um, they've got the cash to do it. Um, not saying that, 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 that they are, but it's an interesting model that merits discussion that no one has done yet. They have the cash to do it. Uh, certainly the, the thought is that it will be made up on application sales because they also 
They say the average smartphone uh, owner has between 5 and 12 apps on their phone. Only way to get those apps on an Amazon phone is to get it through the Amazon store. Where Amazon takes a piece of all those applications. You can't just download regular apps from the Google Play Store. So there's another avenue for them to get revenue. Well, that might be pushing it, but it would be an intriguing way to do it. If they come up with a competing product, something that's really close to existing hardware in terms of, say, the mid-range yeah, Android absolutely. phones. Absolutely. Even if you match it spec for spec close to the Galaxy Nexus. It's been around for you know six-ish months. It's not the best spec phone. It's not the worst. It's still pretty good. I think Amazon could potentially hit a huge home run uh, with those devices. Well, certainly for price alone and not having to agree to the contract. If you don't like AT&T and you have a GSM phone or a world phone, you know what? I'll go to Verizon Wireless. They'd love to have my business. The heck with you. Absolutely. You know, they're happy to have your, your data contract. Uh, or if it's a pentaband unlocked phone, you know, move it over to T-Mobile's 4G HSPA Plus service and you're done. Pick up a SIM card, pop it in. You'll need to, you'll need to sign a new contract and um, you're on your way. Well, we have to see how that works out. By the way, before we let you go, just one piece of information came my way. Gartner released preliminary personal computer shipment data, second quarter of 2012. Apple reporting modest upgrade in sales, 4.3%. Everyone else down, 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 down. 12.7% for HP, 9.5% down for Dell. Acer, 14.1%. This makes Apple the number three PC maker in the U.S. But who knows, because a lot of times these surveys vary. Because then it'll be the IDC version, and it'll be someone else's version. What's your reaction? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't bet against Apple. Uh, I would be far remiss to ever uh, bet against Apple. I think we're going to see those numbers change over the next six months. Um, but we are seeing one trend, and that trend is Apple's market share in the PC market is growing. Uh, their MacBook Air is now ubiquitous uh, amongst a younger generation. The younger generation is ultimately going to be in the workforce uh, and is going to have to determine... What um, what computers companies are going to be using, uh, and every the folks that are um, older now are going to be retiring uh, that have been sort of PC loyalists. Uh, I think we're really going to see Apple uh, rise to you know possibly the number one uh, manufacturer spot. That creates a situation for Microsoft that's one of desperation. If Windows 8 doesn't take off in a big way and restore the luster of Windows and PC makers, you know it's going to be a problem for them. Huge problem. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and regardless of you know what you and I uh, both feel uh, about Windows 8, if the consumers don't respond the way Microsoft is hoping, uh, they're in for some hurt. Uh, they're looking to go back to the Vista days, uh, where Apple really gained a tremendous amount of market share. And Apple's marketing team is very sharp. I'm sure you remember those Mac versus PC commercials. Uh, they will be all over Microsoft. Before we go all over with John Rettinger, tell our listeners about Techno Buffalo and where they can find more information. Yep, absolutely. So uh, you can find us at technobuffalo.com. We're actually uh, the world's largest independent tech resource in the world, so between our text and video. Uh, we're not owned by any company. All the opinions are our own and our writers, and we tell it like it is when it comes to technology. We give honest opinions. We don't rush our reviews to get it out to compete for SEO. We write our reviews when they're ready. So if you want to uh, get a real honest opinion on the latest tech, check us out at technobuffalo.com. John Rettinger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> 
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You can save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price and you could lose money, but it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought. And if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people, like Ernesto, are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to Get Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. We have Joe Kissel, who has written thousands of Take Control books for Adam Inkst at Take Control Books. But also, you wrote a book one time about making the greatest turkey dinner on the planet, right? I think so. Okay. Well, we have to have you come here from France to cook one for us. All righty. But you'll have to pay for it. I'm sorry about that. We have no budget here. That's how it goes. Okay. So when the first Mountain Lion developer betas came out, there was a set of system requirements that kind of got under the radar. I didn't see much about it. And then, of course, at the WWDC, Apple gives you more information about Mountain Lion. Then they post the system requirements And now suddenly, about three or four days ago, people are taking notice that a certain number of Macs, Intel-based Macs, are no longer supported. What's the reason for that? Yes. Well, you know, it is. it has long been the case, every time Apple updates Mac OS X, that support for some older models disappears. So this is no different. And, you know, just sort of generically speaking, if, if Apple can cut off older Macs at a certain point, that gives them less programming work to do and less testing work and, it, and, and allows them to, you know, basically get, get the software out faster and to make it more bulletproof. So, there, there, you know, there's a very a very reasonable rationale for doing that. What's strange this time around is that it's not very obvious to ordinary people why they made the cutoff the way they did. I mean, it's not just a matter of you have to have an Intel-based Mac, as it was a couple of revs ago. It's not just the fact that it has to be a a Core 2 Duo or higher. Now it's getting more nitpicky. It has to have, yet all that is still true, it has to be a Core 2 Duo or better Intel-based Mac, and it has to have a, a certain amount of RAM and so on, but it also has to have the capability of booting into natively booting into a 64-bit kernel. That really doesn't mean anything to most ordinary people. In fact, it doesn't really mean anything to most uh, most geeks. But it has to have that capability, which is which is something that, that's basically a feature of the way the logic board is designed, as well as the firmware. And it also has to have a certain class of graphics card. If you go to Apple's website, apple.com slash osx slash specs, I show you a little list there, you know. Here, here are all the Macs that meet these requirements. And that's a good place to start because you're not going to know just by looking at your Mac, oh, well, this can boot into a 64-bit kernel. I mean, you, you, you can't tell. So, you know, go to that list first. And if, you, if your Mac is running Lion, then uh, it's really easy to compare that list. Like it'll say MacBook Air, late 2008 or newer. So if you know that you just bought a brand new MacBook Air last year, fine, you know, no problem. If you're not sure you're running Lion, you choose about this Mac from the Apple menu and you click more info, and then it'll say, you know, like iMac 27 inch, mid 2010 or whatever. It'll, it'll give you that same wording like Apple does on their website. But you know, if you have a Mac that you're not sure, you like, you know, I, I, it says Mac Mini early 2009 or newer, but I, I bought my Mac Mini in 
in January 2009. So was that the old model or the new model or like whatever? So if that's the case, you might have to do a little more digging. I mean, in my book, I have much more specific information about how you can get your exact model identifier and stuff. But remember that, that Apple's list is when that model was released, not when you bought it. So you might have bought a Mac during that time period, but it could have been an older model Mac or certainly, you know, if you, if you bought a Mac used. And this is kind of irritating for people because... You know, there are some Macs that are five or more years old that are supported, and there are some Macs that are only three years old that aren't. So uh, it, it's, a, it's an irritating situation to be sure. Well, certainly Apple wants to improve the state of the art. So if the graphics aren't up to it, we understand if they can't load 64-bit kernel extensions, which gets to be very obscure, very arcane, we understand from the technology there's an issue there. You know, unfortunately, I, like the, the technology is what it is. And I, as I say, I can't really fault Apple for wanting things to work better and to not have to take, you know, an extra year to get Mac OS X updates out because we had to test under 4,000 other different configurations. So I, I, I get that. But there, there are a lot of things that, that this time around are kind of you know, really, oh, you know, like officially, according to the system requirements, you have to be running Snow Leopard or Lion to install Mountain Lion. That's reasonable because you have to be running Snow Leopard in order to use the Mac App Store. The Mac App Store is the only way you can get a copy of, uh, of Mountain Lion. You know, I have a Mac right here um, that I bought in 2007. And uh, this is one of the, old, like, the oldest model that can still run uh, Mountain Lion. And um, it came with Tiger. Now, if I hadn't bothered to upgrade it in the meantime to Leopard and Snow Leopard and, and Lion. But now I decide, hey, oh yeah, okay. I, so I downloaded the, uh, the installer on my iMac, no problem. But now I want to use that same installer uh, to, to install Mountain Lion on this other older Mac that will support it. If I, if I tried to run it on a, on a Tiger system or on a Leopard system, it wouldn't work. There are some, you know, slightly sketchy workarounds to this. <laughs> More sketchy under Tiger than under Leopard. Actually, Apple Apple made it even harder than it used to be. It was already a little bit hard, but now Apple's made it almost impossible to install Mountain Lion directly over Tiger. And basically, the best advice is, yeah, I know it's going to kind of suck, but you got to go out and buy a Snow Leopard DVD for whatever it is, $29, I think, now, and then install that, and then install Mountain Lion if that's what you want. Maybe it's just better to go ahead and buy yourself a new Mac, which is more or less what Apple wants. But it's also a matter of getting good performance. I mean, if you look at Windows, you could run some really old hardware with Windows 7 and apparently with Windows 8, but you wouldn't be happy with it. So if you somehow induced your very early Intel-based Mac Mini to take a Mountain Lion install, you know, hacked it to the nth degree to make this happen, and I expect there are ways to do that, you wouldn't be happy with it. You know, I have a Mac Pro that's just beyond the system requirements. I'm sure, you know, that it, it, it must be able to work if I can just do some little tweak or something. And I, I tell them exactly what you said is that I don't, I don't know how to do that. But even if I did, something would undoubtedly break. You know, something, uh, some, something that requires a, a capability that, that is on the logic board or in the firmware or in whatever in that, uh, in that older computer just wouldn't work. And you, you'd pay for it sooner or later. So... But, you know, but that said, Lion still works fine. I mean, you won't get all the new features, but you don't have to upgrade if, if, you're, if your system doesn't support you'll You'll still be able to use Lion quite happily for a long time. So, I mean, I, I, I know that everyone, you know, a lot of people want the latest and greatest, and that's fine. Of course, I do too, but don't, don't, don't sweat it too much. The world will not come to an end if you don't um, upgrade to Mountain Lion right away. 
uh, that that won't happen till the end of December. Now, let's just take a look, for example, at the promise of Mountain Lion. Now, for someone who's saying, well, all right, it is 1999, that's fine, I could run it. Why? Is it that compelling an upgrade? Do I really care that I have a notification center and a handful of other features? Well, you know, that that's something that, that each person will have to answer for themselves. There are you know there are a lot of lot more connections to the cloud in mountain lion so that includes not only iCloud which has its tentacles into just about everything um, but it also includes you know Twitter is built in and later on in the fall Facebook will be built in and uh, there there are a lot of other features that for for certain kinds of, of users are are really quite useful and quite compelling now you mentioned notification center. Um, honestly, personally, I feel kind of meh about it. I mean, for me, so for me, notification center, one of those features that's just kind of, eh, you know, it's not, it's, it's okay. It's not great. I'll tell you what's great is to do this pause because we have important messages to come. We have Joe Kissel joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? 
What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. We want to know, how do you use WebEx? I live in my car, sometimes a rental car. Every day, I find a nice, quiet place to pull over and meet a client through WebEx, face-to-face on my smartphone. This is the way to do business. The new free version of WebEx meetings lets you take your office anywhere, your desktop, laptop, or mobile device. Get your free WebEx meetings basic account now at WebEx.com. WebEx from Cisco. W-E-B-E-X.com. WebEx.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800 686 you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We continue with advice and counsel on installing Mountain Lion, which is going to be coming really soon now, to the Mac App Store near you, which is online. Therefore, it's right in front of you. So let's continue here with the reasons why you might want to install Mountain Lion. As you say, Joe, you're not super enamored with Notification Center. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, uh, Growl was working just fine. <laughs> I, I don't Growl, really... by the way, is a third-party notification utility, which must have inspired anyone who produces a notification feature. Right. Clearly, it inspired the Notification Center as well. Now, there, there are some things that you know, have been announced and demonstrated in Mountain Lion, which if they turn out to work as well as demonstrated, um, and you know, assuming all the necessary support comes in, which we'll have to wait and see, could be really neat. You know, like documents in the cloud. It wasn't really there in Lion. You know, if, you're, if you're using iWork on, on your Mac and on your iOS devices, you want to transfer documents between them, you know, not, not among iOS devices, between your Mac and your iOS device. You had to log into a website and drag your documents into there, and it was just really, really awkward. So now they're building all that right into the iWork apps. Now, again, this is what's promised. I haven't seen the new versions of the iWork apps for Mountain Lion that support this feature. So, I mean, yes, I, I understand that it'll be built in. You won't have to go through a web browser, so that's nice. But what I don't know yet is, will you still lose features? Will you still lose formatting when you have a, a document that you created in, like, pages for the Mac and then move that over to your iOS device? I don't know. We'll have to see. That will make things a lot easier for me, uh, a lot less, you know, file copying and syncing and, and worrying about that sort of thing. So that's nice. The version of Mail in Mountain Lion isn't 
a great deal different, but it has a few really cool features. And it has uh, VIP senders and a lot of little tweaks that, that I really appreciate. And I have you know, a whole book on that as well. There are... You know, there are a lot of bugs that are fixed. There are a lot of new, like, sort of just, you know, oh, well, that's, that's a nice little touch. I like that. I appreciate that. And for me, you know, it's not any one big feature that I find compelling because, as I say, like, for me, Lion is, is working just fine. But I do like the fact that uh, Apple is moving in the direction of making, making things a little more modular, making them make sense. So, like, you know, as, as most people have, have heard, um, it used to be the case that if, if you synced your notes between, you know, your iOS device and your Mac, that would happen within mail. You know, a, a note was basically a category of mail. Now notes is its own app. Your reminders used to be part of iCal. Now that it's a separate app, the reminders app, then you have the calendar app. And so there's a lot of this sort of refactoring of, of where things go to not only make it more parallel with iOS devices, but to just sort of make it less cluttered and make it you know, make more sense. And I, and I have my fingers crossed. <laughs> I have my fingers crossed that that will eventually happen to iTunes as well, because iTunes of course is, is a fabulously cluttered app. It has everything in the kitchen sink and it could, it could really benefit from that sort of, you know, let's just, you know, like Apple released the podcast app for iOS. So that's cool. They split up that, that one little thing. And I'd like to see a lot more of that, especially on the desktop. But I mean, I think, I think on the whole mountain lion is moving in the direction of uh, making things cleaner and more sensible, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty pleased with it. Some of the impressions I had of Lion, because of the first attempts at iOS integration, is that some things were a little bit ragged around the edges, and they needed to fine-tune things. Certainly the autosave feature is better set up now than it was in Lion. Of course, the problem being that app developers have to get with the program. Yeah, that's true. App developers do need to get with the program, but at least, you know, I, it warms my heart to see that Apple is at least meeting us halfway. I mean, how many people complained that there was no save as in Lion? And now it's back. Okay, it's, it's a little bit hidden. You have to hold down the option key and, and choose the command that's where duplicate used to be. But hey, save as is back. It's there. Apple heard the complaints and they're like, all right, all right. You want save as? Here's save as. I would really encourage everyone, like there's a there's a page on Apple site that has all the, you know, 200 plus new features of Mountain Lion. And sure, some of these features are pretty, pretty minor. Um, but there are there are a lot of little things like, oh, well, that's, you know, dictation. I might actually, you know, instead of having to go out and buy a third party product, I can now just talk to my Mac and dictate text. So that's kind of cool. And if you have a, a newer Mac, it supports AirPlay mirroring, you know, you're sitting on the couch with your MacBook Air or whatever, and you can send whatever's on the screen of your Mac to your TV through your Apple TV. And there's like there's just a whole bunch of little things like that that um, I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, suddenly this thing that I didn't even realize how much it bothered me, now this is so much easier. And, and I found, I've found a bunch of those sorts of things for myself, and I, I, I hope that a lot of other people will, will, will be similarly happy about them. You know, in contrast, I was trying to look up the feature set for Windows 8. And, of course, you have Metro, which is this tile overlay over the operating system that's borrowed from the Zoom Music Player and Windows Phone. But after you get to that and the ramifications, you find that everything else is poorly integrated and there aren't 200 features. You're lucky if you find a dozen. Yeah, well, you know, to, to Microsoft's credit, uh, they, they are making progress. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned the Metro thing. And I got to say, Metro is, you know, far and away Microsoft's best UI effort yet. Um, but um, 
the, the problem is they just can't let go of the old. I mean, there's this ethic at Microsoft, which, you know, is admirable for, you know, as far as it goes, that we, we don't want to ever, ever, ever break backward compatibility if we can avoid it. So you, you can run 10-year-old apps on, uh, on under Windows 8, of course, not in the Metro UI. And that that's very beneficial in, in some ways, but it also um, holds back the platform and it prevents Microsoft from being able to do a lot of the things that Apple can do. So, you know, Apple's very just, you know, we're not worried about the past. We're just uh, uh, barreling into the future. And clearly that that upsets some people, <laughs> but but equally clearly it, it allows them to do things that that would just not be possible on the PC side. And certainly if we're looking here, for example, at the various parts of Windows 8 and the backwards compatibility, what that also does is hold off people from wanting to upgrade to the new OS to take advantage of features they can't get anymore. Right. There's no movement of the platform. It's just adding more stuff to it. Right. And if you look how many people Apple likes to have these slides and keynote presentations like, you know, how many what percentage of Mac users have adopted the latest Mac OS or what percentage of iOS users have adopted, you know, iOS five versus what the adoption rate is on, on you know Android and on Windows. And and the Apple numbers are always just, you know, fantastically higher. Um, so it yeah, sure, you know, it it, it does it does hurt in some ways, but uh, I'm I'm you know way happier with my Mac now than I was two or three years ago. So on the whole, I think it's it's a good thing. Now, some people are put off by the quote-unquote iOS integration. And I see it as just more and more subtle, just a few apps, a few more features. Fundamentally, the way you interact with OS X Mountain Lion and Lion is very much the same as previous versions of the OS. You don't have to go through a big learning curve. That's right. I, I think what what you know what upsets a lot of people is the is the worry not you know what they're seeing in front of them necessarily, but the worry that in a few years that you won't actually be able to do all the same stuff with your Mac that you can now because it's going to be simplified to the same level that iOS is. What if you can only ever run apps that you purchase from Apple? What if you can only ever run one app at a time? Wouldn't that be terrible, but that isn't the case. It isn't the case now, and I have no reason to believe that it'll be the case in the future. Now, sure, you have full screen mode. You don't have to use it. You have Launchpad, but you don't have to use it. Um, all these all these features that are so iOS-y, you can turn them off if you don't like them. You're not forced to use them. Now, you, you can take exception, as I do, with, uh, you know, the, like the, the leather look of, of the, the contacts app or these things that are supposed to, you know, these skeuomorphic uh, interfaces that, that that try to mimic physical objects. I think those are kind of silly. I think they're irritating. I don't need my notepad to look like a legal pad and whatever. And those are those are things that you you unfortunately can't change unless you go, you know, install a third party uh, alternative. But but then again, it's it's just the way it looks. It's not, you know, it's not really a matter of functionality. And so I can I, you know, grin and bear it. Or groan and bear it, depending on your point of view. We have Joe Kissel, author of many Take Control books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, 
lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Let's keep preparedness simple. Do you need stuff for disasters? Of course you do. For over 15 years, DisasterStuff.com has, well, stuff for disasters. See? Easy to remember. DisasterStuff.com. Want free shipping on a new Berkey water filter? DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. Lots of folks want an EMP Faraday bag to protect sensitive electronics during a solar or nuclear event. Now for a limited time, all survival gear purchases over $75 include a free 8x8 inch EMP Faraday bag. Just enter promo code EMP bag when you check out at disasterstuff.com. We're also a country living grain mill authorized dealer. Plus, we offer freeze dried foods by Alpine Air and Wise Foods. We also carry emergency kits, survival seeds, and much more. Preparedness should be simple, and it is. Just remember disasterstuff.com. Freedom through self reliance and personal responsibility. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. BePrepared.com heats up July with the hottest sale on the web. Going on now. Save 28% on freeze-dried raspberries or save on our three-day light emergency kit, a $50 value. This month, just $30.99. Plus, all one-year supplies are on sale at BePrepared.com. This month, save over $350 on our traditional 2,000-year supply of food. Now, just $12.99.99. And get a hand grain mill free. Or choose our most popular year supply, the Premium 2000. It gives you 2,000 calories per day from a variety of nutritious meals for one whole year. Save over seven. $700 plus get a free Canadine Hiker water filter, a $75 value. More details and more hot July savings at BePrepared.com now through July 31st. Call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and BePrepared.com's low price guarantee. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com.
You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. And of course, Joe Kissel has a book out now about upgrading to Mountain Lion to get you ready. And here is what's the status of 10.8 Mountain Lion as we stand. Developers have gotten what is called a Golden Master Seed. And this is a version they propose to be the final version of Mountain Lion. Now, it's not released yet as of the time this show is being recorded. But what that could also mean is this is the version you'll get like last year. When they released the Golden Master Seed of Lion, that was the version you get. It could still be that way or Apple might find some last-minute bugs reported by them or developers and make one or two more changes. But before the end of the month, Mountain Lion will go on sale for $19.99. Now, we talked earlier about the system requirements that some older Intel-based Macs are no longer compatible. But because app sales, because Mac sales have gone up so much and increased so much, a larger and larger portion of Macs do support Mountain Lion. So now let's look in this final segment of the show, Joe Kissel, in preparing for the upgrade. So maybe go through a few steps, and your book will have a lot more information and a lot more detail. But go through a few steps in getting ready for an operating system upgrade. Now, in theory, it should be just installed, but you should be careful. Right. In in the introduction, I I can write out and say... If you have Lion running on your Mac right now, and it's, it's Mountain Lion compatible Mac, you have plenty of RAM, you have plenty of disk space, and you have excellent backups, then, and, you know, really, you don't need my book. I mean, it's not that hard. You, you go into the Mac App Store, you click a couple of buttons, you wait for it to download, you click a couple of more buttons. That's really it. For many, many people, for millions of people, it's, it's literally going to be that simple. So for, for those people who are already on the cutting edge, they keep their software up to date, they have really good backups, they, they keep things neat and tidy, they, they you know, scan their disks for errors, those sorts of things, there, there's, there's very little you have to worry about. Just, just do it. Now, for anyone who is less scrupulous, let's say, anyone who isn't, isn't certain that their Mac is in great shape or they're running an older version of Mac OS 10 or whatever, uh, or you know they they've never migrated to iCloud. I mean, there are there are some other things that you can do to really make the process much much safer and much smoother. Obviously, as we've talked about many times, backups are the number one thing. Get a program like Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper or whatever that can make a bootable duplicate, make a complete brand new copy of everything on your hard disk or your SSD to a separate drive. And this will not only let you recover from errors, which is obviously hugely important. You know, if something goes wrong, you can go back. Um, But it also gives you the option, if you want, to erase your drive that you're going to install Mountain Lion on, install a fresh, clean copy of, of Mountain Lion with nothing else, and then at the end of the process, say, oh yeah, and please copy back all of my applications and, and personal files and settings and stuff from that backup. And that process takes a little longer, but it gets rid of all kinds of crud, you know, disk errors, directory problems, um, you know, poorly optimized disks, all these kinds of things. They just magically go away if you do that. So it's, it's a nice option to be able to have. So you think if you can make a clone backup, and you could do it with Time Machine, although it's not the prettiest, fastest process, but you use Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper, which I have, and both are excellent products. Carbon Copy Cloner, by the way, 
has already been updated for Mountain Lion. The developer used to work for Apple, by the way. So if that's another reason. And it works really well. So you wipe your drive and you restore from your backup. I'm probably going to do that with the final version of Mountain Lion. I'm just going to restore my hard drive. It's not with those programs a very intimidating process, is it? Uh, it's it's actually not that bad, and and the latest version of of uh, Carbon Copy Cloner um, is is really I mean I'm I'm using like the a beta version right now, but right. so I'm, I'm using a, a, the latest beta version of Carbon Copy Cloner right now. I, I think it'll be released to the public very soon, but it has a really cool feature where if you want to make uh, like a flash drive, put a flash drive that has a, a bootable copy of the Mountain Lion installer. You can do that with like a couple of clicks. It's super cool, very easy. It also can clone the recovery. HD volume, the hidden recovery mode uh, volume that uh, line and mountain line install. You can make a clone of that, which which most applications, most backup programs can't. So it's a, it's a fine tool. So this is a good way to protect your data, but also to restore your drive. Especially if you have a Mac, it's a couple of years old. It doesn't hurt to just clean things up. Okay, so you do the backup, and you get ready to install. This is also a good opportunity. You know, it once. Once you've you've made a backup, it, it doesn't hurt to to do some spring cleaning. You know, get rid of old apps and stuff that you, that you don't want to use. But I have I have a new uh, little chapter in the book that 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 gives some additional advice this time around that I've never done before, um, having to do with the cloud. So basically, I'm saying, okay, number one, because iCloud is so very much involved in, in Mountain Lion. Um, you're actually going to be asked for your Apple ID in the process of, installing, of, of installing Mountain Lion. If you're not clear on, you know, if you haven't already migrated from MobileMe to iCloud, uh, if you're not sure what your Apple ID is, if you have more than one Apple ID, if you use one Apple ID for purchases and another for other things or whatever, I have this, this whole discussion on, you know, let, let's get your Apple ID ducks in a row because that's, you, you'll you'll have a much more uh, painless experience migrating to to Mountain Lion if you if you know what you want to use for your Apple ID or if you if you know that you want to use more than one. Now the point to understand is that with Mountain Lion you have five or six Macs at home. Under a single Apple ID, you can download and install a copy on each one for that same one purchase price. And this was Lion, of course. And I mention this is because I just came back the other day from a client. He installed a copy at his office mm-hmm. on his personal computer and home, and he bought separate copies, not realizing if he used the same Apple ID, he wouldn't have had to do that. Too bad. Yeah, so that's a, that's a really nice thing. There's no more you know family packs or that sort of thing. As long as you're logged in with the same Apple ID on as many Macs as you own or, or control, you can install Mountain Lion on all of them for the, for you know one low price, so that's really cool. Um, so uh, you know, uh, get your Apple ID in order if you're if you're already. It's it's best to already have you know be logged into all the iCloud services when you upgrade because then you won't be asked so many questions during the installation. It does does ask you quite a few. Do I want to activate this service and that service? And I'm and I'm also uh, telling but if you're people, logged in, it just installs. Pretty yeah. much. It's pretty much. Um, there, there are a couple of new features. Um, and I'm also telling people, um, if, if you're not already using a service like Dropbox, um, this would be a really good time to consider that. Because not only is it good for, you know, very many things just on its own, um, but it's, it sort of serves as, as an extra semi-backup. 
somebody was asking me a couple of months ago, you know, about my 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 backup tech, my personal backup technique, and what I would do if you know a, a disk totally died and I had to, you know, I didn't have. Um, you know, a bootable duplicate, and I had to restore from scratch. I'm like, well, you know, really wouldn't be that big of a deal. I'd, I'd install Mac OS 10. The first thing I do would be to download and install Dropbox, and then I just watch as all of my files automatically reappear in my Dropbox because that's where I keep most of my files, or at least you know all the, the things that I'm actively working on. It's uh, it's not a substitute for a backup, but it's, it's a great way of eliminating a lot of the problems that backups have to solve. So there, there are some advantages using Dropbox or SpiderOak or SugarSync or, a, or a, a service of that sort that go beyond what documents in the cloud offers. Okay, just a final thing here before we let you go. So after this, once you run the installer, how long should it take? So if you're doing an in-place install, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that whole clean install thing that I just described a few minutes ago. I'm just going to run it and upgrade the, the system in place. That's typically going to take about a half hour for start to finish. Um, if, you, if you're doing a clean install and then migrating over, that could take hours and hours because, you know, depending on the amount of data you're copying, that, that could take a long time. But basically, uh, you know, it, it's a few clicks asked a few questions at the end, but there's not a whole lot else to do. There are some things that you'll have to get used to as usual after after your first, you know, after you after you restart after uh, installing Mountain Lion. Um, but it's it's not a huge learning curve at all. The name of the book is Take Control of Upgrading to Mountain Lion. Take Control of Upgrading to Mountain Lion. Go to TakeControlBooks.com. Check that and all the other titles they'll have on Mountain Lion. You can find us on Twitter, Tech Night Owl at Twitter. That's Tech Night Owl at Twitter. And check out our other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night, the Paracast, at Paracast.com. Joe Kissel, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thanks for having me. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.